Eva-Marie lived in a town called Västerås, which can be found on the outskirts of Sweden's capital city, Stockholm. She lived with her partner, a man called Joel Kabagambe, and together they had two young children. But the relationship was very destructive. He had, on one occasion, beat her so severely that she was forced into locking herself in a toilet in order to get away from him. The violent relationship finally came to an end. But as that chapter in her life was over, a new one began. A trying custody battle started that would carry on for years. At one point, Eva-Marie confided in her friend, telling her, When he kills me, promise me that you will tell my story. This is Nordic True Crime. Joel Kabagambe had previously been convicted for drug offences on two separate occasions for battery, carrying a knife, threatening an officer and he also had a restraining order filed against him. He had, of course, also been violent towards Eva-Marie. After their separation he became both extremely jealous and controlling, and he was constantly harassing and threatening her. Their children lived with Eva-Marie, which they had done since birth, but they would also regularly meet with their father. But that would all change. During the summer of 2010, Joel found a small burn mark on his youngest child and reported it to social services, who in turn reported it to the police. They investigate Joel's claims further by discussing the burn mark with Eva-Marie. She said that she didn't know how it happened and explains that her child probably received the burn by accident, possibly from her hair straighteners. The police have no evidence as to what actually happened, and the investigation is soon closed, as it is very plausible that it was caused accidentally. However, at around the same time as the first report was made, 
another phone call was made to social services. Someone called and said that Eva Marie was selling sex and therefore was not fit to be a mother to her children. The social services looked into this claim and decided that until the investigation was concluded, the children should no longer live together with Eva Marie and should instead live with their father for the time being. The truth is, Eva Marie was in fact a sex worker. She had been selling sex for a period of time and occasionally worked as a stripper as well as on a phone sex line. But she didn't believe that it was something to be ashamed about. She was also a member of an organization called Rose Alliance which works towards the end goal of improving the rights of sex workers and tries its best to get rid of the stigma attached to the profession. She was also involved in trying to have the law changed in order to give out harsher punishments for those involved in human trafficking. In addition to this, she was also a member of the HBTQ movement. HBTQ is an acronym for homosexual, bisexual, transsexual and queer people. Eva Marie refused to say there was anything wrong with being a sex worker. Social services disagreed. And this is where the story begins to take an interesting turn, to say the least. Regardless of what the general opinion is about the moral aspects of prostitution, in Sweden, it is in fact legal to sell sex. It is only the purchase of sex that is illegal. A law designed to protect the sex workers by punishing the buyers of sex. So despite not breaking the law, the social services ruled that the children would be better off staying with their father, who, on the other hand, was a convicted criminal with a well-documented history of violence. During the social services investigation, it becomes very clear what their opinion of Eva Marie's choice of occupation is. And instead of carrying out an objective investigation in which both the claimant and the defendant are looked at equally, they had already decided what the outcome would be. Their focus is completely on Eva Marie, and they go into every detail of her sexual life, which really had no factual value to the investigation. It is in fact ethically and morally wrong. In light of this, the boss of the Children and Youth Unit at the Social Services 
was later fired due to this lack of professionalism. But by then, it was already too late for Eva Marie. Her children had already been placed into the care of their father. In 2011, Joel filed for sole custody. The court stated that even though the children had been taken away from Eva Marie on false grounds, they deemed it too cruel for the children to be forced to move back to their mother's house now that they had settled with their father. So they ruled that the children would remain with their father and would only stay with their mother on the weekends. Furthermore, it was decided that there would always be a social worker present at the so-called handover since the relations between Eva-Marie and Joel were extremely tense, to say the least. The court also focused mainly on Eva-Marie's choice of occupation, just as social services did, and they even wrote that they found it very concerning that she doesn't understand that being a sex worker is a very destructive behavioral trait and that selling sex always is very dangerous. It is a complex subject which sparks a lot of debate. Many will agree with the court's decision and opinion in regards to sex workers, as will many disagree with this. But at the same time, Eva Marie was being punished for what was essentially not illegal. The court gave almost no consideration to Joel's criminal past, filled with violent behavior. That is deemed by the court to be in the past and not applicable to the present-day situation. Eva-Marie loved her children very dearly and was devastated that they were not longer living with her. She was distraught that the children had been caught up in the middle of the constant battle between their parents. But she refused to give up. She was determined to get them back. In 2013, the custody of the children is once again fought out in court. The social worker who is always present during the handover of the children from Joel to Eva Marie during the weekends, testifies in favor of Eva Marie. She says that Eva Marie is a very good mother who always does everything she can to meet her children. She also claims that Joel is both a very aggressive and intimidating man. During the time of the latest battle for the custody of the children, Joel is once again harassing Eva-Marie, 
he sometimes sits outside her home, taking notes of all the parked car's license plates to check who may be visiting her. He becomes more and more aggressive and obsessed and is actively sabotaging the meetings Eva-Marie is supposed to have with her children every weekend. He is simply keeping them from seeing each other and he manages to keep this up for months. The social worker also testifies to this during the custody trial. Joel is being aggressive and intimidating in front of the social worker, is totally disregarding the court's ruling that the children have to stay with their mothers on the weekends, is sabotaging these meetings. He has a criminal past that involves drugs, battery, threatening behavior, carrying a weapon, and has had a restraining order filed against him and does not have a job. Incredibly, the court disregard this and decide not to grant Eva-Marie full custody because they believe that her relationship with her children has been damaged due to the fact that they have not been meeting her regularly enough. Regular meetings, which were of course sabotaged by her ex-partner, which was testified to by the social worker in court. Furthermore, they deem that shared custody is also out of the question, since the father obviously has trouble in cooperating with Eva-Marie. Joel is granted sole custody of the children, again based on the opinion that it would be too cruel to move them away from their father where they are now settled, despite the fact that this would now deny them any chance of maintaining a good relationship with their mother. Eva-Marie is of course devastated, but is determined never to give up the fight for her children. She adores them and is going to do whatever it takes to get them back home. She appeals the decision to which the court later notify her that they will reinvestigate the case. Although this decision is good news for Eva-Marie, she is also worried. She is scared of how Joel will react. She knows he's not the kind of person who will just quietly accept the court's decision, or more so, her decision to appeal. Eva-Marie knew that Joel had just recently broke up with his girlfriend and was in a bit of a mental state. In an email to her mother, she wrote, He's not the type who will make a threat before doing something. He has weapons both at home and hidden in other places. And now that he's no longer got a girlfriend, no kids and failing at college, his pride has taken too many knocks 
and he's got nothing to lose. Her mother becomes very worried by what her daughter has written and says that she wants to travel to Westeros to support her. But Eva Marie replies, Nothing can be done about it. I have accepted that now. If it happens, it happens. Nobody is listening and can protect me. I know that if something is coming, he will do it without warning. In order to repair the damaged relationship with her children due to the actions of Joel, she had arranged special family therapy meetings. The main goal was to rebuild a working relationship between Eva Marie and her children. Each meeting was about an hour long, and they were all supervised by a social worker, as well as being filmed. The original plan was to have six meetings with each child. They decided to start the sessions with her daughter, who at the time was six years old. The meetings went to plan, so the four-year-old son was next in line for the therapy sessions. At the time of the meetings, Eva Marie had now not had any contact with her children for over a year, so she was both very excited and eager to see them. Joel, on the other hand, was strongly against these meetings. He said that Eva Marie had been abusive to the children and beat them, something which had been going on for years. He was worried and didn't want her to see the children due to this. The social workers said that all the meetings were being closely monitored and with any signs of the children feeling uncomfortable in their mother's presence, they would step in and end the session. Eva Marie had told her mother that the sessions had been a success and that she really found that there was an instant connection with the kids. She was, however, a bit concerned about how Joel would react when he realized how well it had went. On the 11th of July, 2013, Eva Marie was on her way to one of these therapy sessions. She was meant to get a lift there, but for some reason, this fell through, so she took the bus instead. She calls Annika, one of the social workers, to tell her that the bus is running a bit late. Whilst on the phone to Annika, she suddenly tells her that Joel and her son have just appeared at the same bus stop that she is standing at. She asks her what she should do now. Say hello or just ignore them. She doesn't want to ignore her son, but at the same time, she doesn't want to do anything in the slightest that could potentially provoke Joel or jeopardize her future meetings with her kids. Joel 
Annika tells her just to either say a quick hello or try to stay clear of them. When they all arrive at the house where the meeting was taking place, Annika could see that Joel was upset. He was walking in front of Emma Marie, holding their son's hand in a tight, firm grip. Joel had a stern look on his face and he didn't say hello to Annika, but instead he pushed his son forward and said, Here you have him. Eva Marie said something along the lines of, It's already a catastrophe. We fought on the bus. Eva Marie was crying and was so sad that her child were forced to witness them fighting once again. Annika took their son inside and Joel followed her, leaving Eva Marie outside with the other social worker called Lotta. Annika, Joel and his son drank a glass of water in the kitchen on the second floor of the building. According to Annika, Joel was still angry and made some derogatory comments about Eva Marie, but Annika told him to stop since his young boy was present. Joel had never been rude or nasty towards Annika before. On the contrary, he had always been nice to her. The only problem that had previously occurred was Joel's objection to the family therapy sessions. Other than that, she had had no problems with him. Annika brought the young boy to one of the therapy rooms and told Joel to wait in another room until the visit was over, which he said he would do. Meanwhile, outside, Lotta asked Eva-Marie what had happened on the way over. She said that her son had come up to her on the bus and sat next to her. When they were getting off at their stop, her son had taken her hand, which was not appreciated by Joel. He had grabbed his son's other hand and pulled him away from his mother. Eva-Marie then gave Joel a push saying that he should never grab her son like that. Joel then retaliated by punching Eva Marie. They had continued arguing after getting off the bus. A witness would later confirm she saw them both screaming at each other on their short walk from the bus stop to the house. Lotta and Eva Marie were sitting on the front steps of the house chatting for a bit when suddenly Joel appears behind them. He is holding a big knife in his hand that he had grabbed from the kitchen inside and he begins to frantically stab Eva Marie whilst screaming, Never again you will do this. She is screaming and fighting for her life, whilst Lotta tries to get in between them 
shouting at him, in complete shock at what he is doing. He then turns towards Lotta and stabs her in the neck. Lotta manages to run back in the house and goes upstairs. She screams to Annika to call an ambulance, telling her that both she and Eva-Marie have been stabbed. Lotta felt like she was abandoning Eva-Marie out there, alone with her attacker. But she is convinced that she is about to die, so her natural instincts take over. In the meantime, Joel continued the attack on Eva-Marie as she lay there, defenseless, on the ground. According to witnesses, he is screaming at her as he carried out the attack. He stabbed her 31 times before finally walking away. He picks up his phone and calls the emergency services and says, I have just, the mother of my children attacked my son in front of me and there's been a stabbing. The police, come here. I'm waiting for you. I'm unarmed so you can come right away. I don't want them to shoot me. I'm sitting here by the side of the road. After this, he hangs up the phone and calls his ex-girlfriend, Ulva. They had been a couple up until the end of 2012, and together they had a little daughter. Even though they were no longer a couple, they still had a very good contact, and Ulva used to help Joel with his kids. That same day, Joel had earlier called Ulva on his way to the meeting. He said that Eva-Marie had just walked up to their son and grabbed his hand and pulled him away to sit on another area of the bus, away from Joel. According to Ulva, Joel had asked what to do and she had advised him to go and sit nearby and support his son. He said he would and the conversation ended. When he called her at 11.10am, his first words were, I stabbed her. I stabbed their mother. Ulva at first thought it was only a bad joke, until she realized the horrible truth. She said he was speaking incoherently, but he said that he loved his children. When the police asked her if he ever mentioned why he stabbed her, Ulva replied that he had said, She hit me in front of the children. Ulva guessed that he said children, even though there was only one of his children present at the time, because he was a bit confused. He then said the police would be there shortly, and he then hung up the phone. Joel is apprehended without resistance and is taken into police custody. An ambulance rushes Eva-Marie and Lotta to the hospital. Lotta 
survives the attack, but Eva Marie isn't so lucky. She dies at the hospital due to the severity of the injuries she received in the frenzied attack. During the initial police interview with Joel, he claimed that Eva Marie had been abusing the children and that they were afraid of her. He had been trying to get support from social services and the police, but he felt that they had all failed him. When they met at the bus stop that morning, he tried to stay as far away from her as possible, hoping that she would take a different bus from them. But instead, she had just walked right up to them, grabbing her son's hand before boarding the bus. When they were getting off the bus, Joel claims that it was in fact Eva Marie that pulled his son away from him and not the other way around. According to Joel, She then started to call him all sorts of names, whilst he pleaded with her to stop and not use that sort of language in front of their child. She then punched him, an attack that shocked him. He tried to push her away, saying that she can't just hit him in front of their child. He started to walk away, holding his son's hand, as Eva-Marie followed from behind, screaming that there were so many people out who wanted to kill him. When they finally reached the house, Joel claims that he blacked out. But he does remember telling Annika and Lotta about the argument with Eva-Marie, an argument that she started, as well as telling them that she had been extremely threatening towards him. This is, however, nothing that either Annika or Lotta mentioned anything about in their statements to the police. When he stepped out of the room on the second floor, he said that Eva Marie started to argue with him again. He then said that he just flipped out and wanted to protect himself and his children, so he began to stab her. He claims that after he was done, she said to him, I will never again hit my children, never. After this, he leaves the scene of the crime and calls the police. He says that it was very unfortunate that she lost her life, And that was, of course, not his intention. If that was the case, then he would never have done it like that in front of other people. Under further police interviews, he claims that he can't remember anything that happened during the actual stabbing. This must be due to the side effects of his medication. He had, however, been on the same medication for years without any problems, and as the police pointed out, it was very peculiar that he remembered everything leading up to the stabbing and everything afterwards. 
31-year-old Joel Kebagambe was sentenced to 18 years in prison for the murder of Eva Marie and the attempted murder of Lotta. The media wrote extensively about Eva Marie's murder and it flared hateful discussions on various internet forums. People were writing horrible things, such as she deserved what she got. She was after all just a dirty whore. Others agreed that she deserved it not only because she was a prostitute, but for also being a race traitor since Joel was African. But the majority of people were on Eva Marie's side and defended her memory by responding to these hateful comments, not the least her mother. These hurtful comments made it so much more difficult for her to first of all try and come to terms with what had happened and at the same time try and mourn her beloved daughter who was so brutally and callously taken away from her. On one website, she wrote, I gave birth to Eva Marie, and I sat next to her incubator, terrified that she wouldn't make it. 27 years, 4 months, and 15 days later, I sat next to her coffin and said my goodbyes. There, I held her hands and kissed her forehead for the last time. here at Nordic True Crime, it's clear you're an observer of the darker and colder side of humanity. I'm Dr. Shiloh, a former cop. And I'm Dr. Scott, a former Hollywood entertainment professional. We're now both forensic psychologists working in Southern California. Are you fascinated by the internal processes of criminals? Do you wonder, how could they do that? In each episode of our podcast, LA Not So Confidential, we dissect the nexus where true crime, forensic psychology, and entertainment meet. We'll serve up fascinating cases viewed through the lens of human behavior, delivered with our signature gallows humor. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play at LA Not So Confidential. We're ready for download and subscription. You can also follow us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast and on Twitter at LA Not So Pod. Come and join us for LA Not So Confidential. get mad when listening to true crime well so do i if you want a weekly true crime podcast that says what you're thinking then grab a beer and pull up a deck chair this is cambo from true crime island another true crime podcast and maintain the rage with me 
visit truecrimeisland.com where you can download or stream each episode. Plus, there's links to iTunes and social media. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. This is True Crime Island.